Hey, I'm Ryan Mallory, and this is my Swing Trading the Stock Market podcast. I'm here to teach you how to trade in a complex, ever-changing world of finance. Learn what it means to trade profitably and consistently, managing risk, avoiding the pitfalls of trading, and most importantly, to let those winners run wild. You can succeed at the stock market, and I'm ready to show you how. Hey, everybody. This is Ryan Mallory with Swing Trading the Stock Market, and it's part two of Stops and Leverage here. I'm going to go back and read the email that we started this podcast, this two-part series podcast last week. And so I'm going to start from the beginning, and then we're going to pick up about midway through answering his questions again. So he writes, hey, Ryan, remember, too, this guy, we gave him the name Barry, because that was the Aussie name that I gave him last time. And this is actually his second email. So he's he writes great emails, great questions, so I don't mind uh, giving him multiple podcasts if he can do that. So Barry writes. Hey, Ryan, really enjoying the trading at the moment, making steady gains, and I continue to listen to your podcast. Question one, I know that you usually allocate the same amount of capital to each trade and take profits along the way. However, do you add to your positions as you go? I recently added more capital to my brokerage account, so I'm trading with around $800. I have about $100 allocated to each position. Second part of the question, I know that you keep risk as tight as possible to improve your risk-reward ratio. However, do you ever use leverage on a stock trade if the risk is low? Question two, if there's a turn in the market, for example, a decline in stock value across the markets like a big red day, do you close your positions or do you write it out to see if it hits your stop loss? Second part of this question is, do you pay much attention to the intraday price action of a stock and do you wait till the end of the day to take partial profits? I'm generally taking partial profits at around 3% gains in my positions. Okay, so those were the questions from the last episode. The new questions for this episode is going to be one. Also, when raising your stop losses, do you wait till after the trading session is closed? And with a key support level, do you wait for a pullback on the chart where the candles pull back twice? For example, on a 30-minute chart, do you wait for one pullback on a bullish hammer candle or wait for two candle pullbacks to the same level? Question three, do you ever trade commodities and indices if you can manage the risk? Thanks again, Ryan. Cheers, Barry. All right, good questions. I've got some good answers for them. I don't think it's going to be too complex. Starting with raising my stop losses after the trading session is closed. More times than not, I'm usually raising my stop losses after the market closes. That doesn't mean that I won't do it during the trading session. When that happens, it's usually because I'm already up a lot and that stock makes another big move. And so I want to start pushing that stop loss up a little bit more, especially if it's a pretty volatile market environment. I'll do that, especially with big gaps higher at the open. It doesn't even have to be on a strong run. Let's say I have a strong gap higher. Let's say I get, okay, back to the $100 per share stock on an imaginary stock symbol. XYZ at $100. I get in at $100. Let's say I spend a couple of days between $100 and $101. Stock hasn't really done too much. Then it gets an upgrade the next day, and now it's trading 7 or 8% higher. Am I going to wait till the end of the day to raise that stop loss? No. Probably what I'm going to do is take some profits off the table, probably like a third, and then I'm going to raise that stop loss sum. So usually what I'll do is like wait the first 30 minutes of trading, let it put in a new low from where it opened up at. And sometimes it may not be that much of a low. It may just like take off and and continue to add on to those gains. If so, it makes adding a, a stop loss even easier. So what I'll oftentimes do is add my stop loss to the lows of the day to where if it starts to fill that gap, I'm not risking all the profits that I just made on that trade from an overnight gap higher because that does often happen, especially like around earnings. Not that I trade around earnings because I don't, but you'll see stocks have some massive fades after earnings announcements. And so a lot of people 
when they see some positive news, it gets them all excited and they say to themselves, man, this thing's going to go so much higher. It's already up 7% at the open. Maybe I'll go up 15 or 20% on the day. And sometimes that may happen. You may get a big runner on your hands. Maybe there's a really good news announcement. But I have seen so many times where you get the gap higher, and I've had a lot of people experience this, where you get the gap higher, and then all of a sudden the market or the stock just spends the rest of the day fading. It may be you're getting a strong gap higher in a very bad market where the stock market's going to be selling off that day, and with it, it's going to take the value or the profits that you had and stock XYZ and just diminish it all day long to where you're, it's like the slow, steady drift lower to where you're left at the end of the day saying, man, I just wish I would have taken some profits at that time or put a stop loss just below the lows of that gap higher from that morning. And if you had, you would have been able to get out of that position with a decent gain. So twofold, you take some profits right out of, at the open in case your stock isn't going to continue pushing higher throughout the day. And if it doesn't, you have a stop loss at the lows of the day to where if it takes out those lows, you're getting out of the trade anyway. So it allows you to benefit the most from that big gap higher while still leaving some capital on the table for a bigger run higher if it chose to do so. If it continues to rip higher, then that's great. You can continue to move your stop loss higher as well. And then the other thing that you can do is leave, and this is like having essentially multiple stop losses here, but you're in stock XYZ at $100. It gaps higher. Okay, you take a third off the table. And then after the first 30 minutes or so, when you see some price action playing out, you get where the lows of the day are currently. You put a stop loss below the lows of the day for another third of your position. And then you keep the original third at where it was at before it even gapped higher. So you have a third at the open that you took. You have a third at the lows of the day following the gap higher. And then you have a third at your original price, which is also you know a good way to manage risk as well, because then you're getting two thirds of your position out at at least where they gapped up to. And then you're keeping the final third at the original buy-in price. In essence too, that's also moving up your stop loss, moving up your stop loss to where you got in at, or you can leave it where your original stop loss is. But I would think that that would be enough reason to, to move it up to at least break even to see by giving it enough room to decide, okay, whether or not it has room to continue to run higher. And if it doesn't, then you get out of the trade with two thirds of your gains at the spot where it gapped up at. The next question, I kind of thought it was interesting. He says, and with a key support level, do you wait for a pullback on the chart where the candles pull back twice? For example, on a 30-minute chart, do you wait for one pullback on a bullish hammer candle or wait for two candle pullbacks to the same level? I don't really have like a one or a two pullback method on what I identify as a support level and especially where I place my stop loss. Stop losses is essentially this. You want to be placing it in an area where if that price level is breached, you know that you don't want to be in that trade anymore. And oftentimes that coincides with support on the charts. In fact, it always is, whether it's trend line support or price level support or some kind of like pattern support. When those levels are breached, that's where I don't want to be in that trade anymore. So you take, for instance, a breakout. Let's say this X stock XYZ breaks out at 100 and goes to 105 and then pulls back to 100 and bounces again. Well, that would be just one test. It could be a hammer candle. It could be any kind of candle, but it tests it and it bounces. And then when it starts to bounce, that's when I want to get in and I want to put my stop loss below that level where it bounced at. And so that could be just a V-shaped bounce where it hits it and goes right back up again. Also, I want to take a moment to remind you guys, check out swingtradingthestockmarket.com. That is my patron service where you get all of my stock market research each and every day. That's going to include updates on the overall stock market, updates on all of the FANG stocks, plus Microsoft, NVIDIA, and Tesla. And 
It's going to give you my weekly bullish and bearish master watch list. Plus, each day I'm going to be telling you the daily watch list, the stocks that I'm following, and some really cool videos as well on different trade ideas that I come across throughout the course of a trading day. So check that out, swingtradingthestockmarket.com. It's really awesome. Now, next question. He says, do you ever trade commodities and indices if you can manage the risk? All the time. I'm in one right now. I'm shorting the market with SH. It's not doing anything. It's not doing anything of note, but I am in it because the market's really not doing anything. But nonetheless, I do trade commodities and indices. I don't do a lot of commodities. I think it's been a minute since I last traded oil. That would be like stock symbol USO. That's an ETF actually. But there's also gold. There's also silver. I don't mind doing those. There's bonds, TLT. I don't mind doing that. One of the things that I'm very cautious of is using the leverage ETFs. Now I've done plenty of them in the past. I think if you look at my progression with ETFs over the years, I've gone from using a lot of three to ones to two to ones. And now I use a lot of just one to ones. Now on the trading block, somebody sees me perhaps get into a particular trade. If they decide they want to follow me in on that trade as well, sometimes they'll do a two to one or a three to one. You know, for me, I'm always just doing one to one. Doesn't mean that I won't consider doing a two to one in the future, but it has to be really the right circumstance for me to jump into a two to one leveraged ETF. More times than not, I'm going to do a one-to-one. And the main reasons for that, and I've actually done a whole podcast episode on that line of thinking, is that, one, you get to stay in the trade a little bit longer to where you don't have to be right right away. Whereas with the two-to-ones and the three-to-one ETFs, the movements are so crazy, you have to have a much tighter stop loss. And oftentimes, that results in a less quality stop loss than if you were using a one-to-one. Because a 4% stop loss on SH or on SPY is going to be much different than a 4% 4% stop loss on SSO or SDS, which is the two to one equivalent of the S&P 500 or SPY. And so with that line of thinking, my stop loss on SPY or SH, if it's 4%, then it would have to be almost 8% of a loss that I would have to take on SSO or SDS along that same lines of thinking. So oftentimes I can mean that I don't even get into the trade because the stop loss is so wide. So it makes much more sense for me to do SSO or SDS. And now I I get the profits aren't going to be this great, but neither is the risk. The risk isn't going to be as bad either. And what do I always say about trading? Plan your trade, manage the risk. Profits will take care of themselves. If I'm just getting into the two to one because it's a higher level of profit at the chagrin of using a better stop loss by trading in SPY or SH, I'm only hurting myself and I'm not following my rules. Uh, Plan your trade, manage the risk, letting the profits take care of themselves. Because if I believe that, I shouldn't be hung up on two to one profits or three to one profits. I should be hung up on managing the risk and planning my trade. And that's what I'm doing there when I'm trading SPY and SH. Now, I'll also trade Q's. I'll trade IWM as well. That's the Russell 2000. The Q's is the NASDAQ 100. I don't trade the Russell 2000 as much just because it, it tends to have a mind of its own at times. And that's not necessarily something that I want to trade. I like the NASDAQ. It's a little bit more volatile than the S&P 500. And I like the S&P 500, of course. Do I trade gold? Do I trade silver? Yeah, I have. I mean, I had a really good trade probably a couple of years back on silver. I haven't really revisited much since then, but silver tends to be a little bit more volatile than gold. Gold can be a very, very, very slow trade. I mean, it's doing pretty good right now and a lot of people are in it. So what a lot of people also do is they'll go after the gold miners or the junior miners, or they'll go after like three to one leverage DTF of the gold miners. And so when you start getting into the gold miners, you can start seeing much bigger volatility, bigger gaps on the charts, much more risk that's involved with the 3X miners versus just trading GLD or SLV outright. 
But I think, honestly, and he asked me if you can manage the risk, I think on most of your commodities like GLD and SLV and then on your indices like SPY, IWM, and QQQ, or even like IBB, for instance, is something that I would prefer over taking any individual biotech trade because biotechs are extremely volatile. But if you trade like IBB, yes, there's biotechs in that ETF. It is a biotech ETF. But because you have so many biotech stocks inside of that ETF, it spreads the risk out quite a bit to where you don't have that portfolio destructing moment by trading an individual biotech stock that has a really bad news piece that comes out about it. And it happens all the time. So I would say that with ETFs, the risk is probably much easier to manage than on most of your stocks. For instance, QQQ is going to be a lot easier to manage the risk on than Shopify or Spotify or Roblox or Roku. I mean, those are going to have a much you know volatile type of trade than what you're going to find out of like the Qs. Catapult will be usually more volatile than SPY. So stocks tend to have a little bit more volatility because you're just talking about one company. The ETFs are a mixture of plenty of companies. So there's usually a little bit less volatility associated with them as a result. And if you enjoyed this podcast episode, I would encourage you to leave me a five-star review. If you can, that would mean the world to me. Also, make sure to keep sending me your questions. Folks, you guys don't send me enough questions. Ryan at SharePointer.com. I read them. I like making podcast episodes out of them. So just like what old Barry did here, keep sending me your questions and I will keep providing my answers. Don't forget to check out swingtradingthestockmarket.com. Thank you and God bless. Thanks for listening to my podcast, Swing Trading the Stock Market. I'd like to encourage you to join me in the SharePointer Trading Block where I navigate the stock market each day with traders from around the world. With your membership, you will get a seven-day trial and access to my trading room, including alerts via text, email, and WhatsApp. So go ahead, sign up by going to shareplanner.com slash trading block. That's www.shareplanner.com slash trading block. And follow me on SharePlanner's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, where I provide unique market and trading information every day. If you have any questions, please feel free to email me at ryan at shareplanner.com. All the best to you, and I look forward to trading with you soon. 